afternoon and happy Mother's Day. How you doing, 1230? Yes, I like it. I like it. Other people may be out to brunch, but you are going to be first in line in heaven because you are at church. I don't think that's how it works theologically, but let's just go with that today. We're so glad that you would join us today and take time out of your day, your Sunday, your Mother's Day to be with us today. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I'm so glad you're here. We're in a teaching series called Neighboring, and as we have had to move out of our space into one of our neighbor's homes here at Skinner Elementary, we're looking at what does it mean to really be a great neighbor, not just a good neighbor, a great neighbor, that that's actually central to life with God, that we love God with all of who we are, and that we love our neighbors like we love ourselves. And so that's what we've been looking at last week and these next couple weeks, in fact, this whole month of May. Now, today is Mother's Day, and Jeannie, my wife, the other lead pastor of this church, is actually uh, in another city. She's in Houston, Texas, preaching at a church in Houston this weekend. And so we ha- I had to get my Mother's Day game on early. I had to come correct midweek for Mother's Day this week. So Thursday night, we did a big Mother's Day thing for Jeannie and kids got our little gifts and you know all kinds of fun stuff and they hand write their cards, they write cards to her and it's so sweet to read a little kid's card to their mom, like you can just kind of see their little heart on the page there. Gigi, our nine year old, just wrote stream of conscious, real time, exactly what she was feeling about Jeannie as she sat down in that moment. And so her card was, mom, you're the greatest mom in the world. I love you so much. I love you so, 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 so. There were 11 so, 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 so much. There are a million reasons why you're the greatest mom in the world. Here are five. And then she listed five (laughs) reasons of why she loved her. One of them was how she cuddles, which I think is so awesome. That should totally always be on the list. And I just thought how sweet it was. Elijah wrote his own card to her in his own words. It was so sweet for them to read those to her. And I thought about that idea of her being the world's greatest mom. And I, you know, I, I felt so proud of Jeannie. I feel bad for the rest of you who can't be the world's greatest mom because I'm married to the world's greatest mom. She has that title. And I thought about that phrase and what that really means. How does my wife become, how did she become the world's greatest mom? Well, what makes her the world's greatest mom is that she doesn't actually rest on or find her worth or identity in that title. What makes her a great mom is that she lays down her life. She gives of herself for others, specifically for us, for our family. Because of the way that she gives of herself, it makes her a great, great mom. And like I said, these couple weeks, we're talking about what does it mean to be a great neighbor. And the same truth actually applies. What makes you a great neighbor is the same basic idea. Let me ask you a question I want you to think about. If you were to go home this afternoon after church today and you're feeling all great because you went to church and you're awesome, you still look great, and you go home and you go to your neighbor's house and ask them, would they say this of you? Would your neighbor say that you are the world's greatest neighbor? Are there any neighbors that would say around, oh, they're the world's greatest neighbor? You have no idea. Would they say that about you? Do they even know your name? Maybe we should start there. So what makes the world's greatest neighbor? It's no different than what makes my wife the world's greatest mom. Great neighbors lay down their life, their stuff, whatever it is they have, for the sake of others. They give of themselves for the sake of others. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of minutes, how to be a great neighbor today means that you actually are willing to give of whatever it is you have However it is that you got to wherever it is you're at, that you'd be willing to lay that down, to give that up 
for others, for others around you. In fact, there's a really powerful picture of what this looks like in the Bible. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter three. So I'd ask if you brought a Bible with you, turn to Philippians three. If you didn't, we got you covered. Right there under your seat, there should be a gray Bible. Do you see it there right under your seat? Uh, in case you don't have it all memorized yet, you can grab one of these and turn to page 819, page 819 in the gray Bible. Let me just give you a quick picture and then I'm gonna invite some friends up for a conversation about what it means to be the world's greatest neighbor. So Philippians chapter three, let me give you some context. This is written by the Apostle Paul, arguably, easily arguably, the world's greatest church leader. And throughout all of history, there's just never been a leader like Paul, and he did so much of the movement of the first church came from the life of the Apostle Paul, easily arguably world's greatest church leader. Now what he does in this little section of this letter to the church in Philippi is he kind of breaks down his credentials and shows them what they're really worth. See, Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, was actually someone who would persecute that first church. When the church first began, its number one enemy was a guy named Paul. He was so devout, so committed to his worldview that he thought what God wanted of him was to stop the church in its tracks. So he would arrest, he would um, punish, he would even imprison, he would kill people who claimed to be Christians because he thought that's what God wanted of him. So Paul talks about his credentials here and what does it mean to really lay those down? And I want us to look at those for a second. Philippians chapter three, verse four says this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, if anyone thinks they have greater credentials than me, look out, is what Paul's saying here. I have more. No one has greater credentials than me. So what we're about to read here is the Bible and really the world's first recording of a humble brag. It's about to, you're about to read Paul talk about himself, but look at the angle that he takes on it. Verse five, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He's letting them know that from the day he was born, he's been in accordance with God's law. A Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he was kind of the top of his class. In regard to the law, that means the way of God, the teachings of God. He says, in regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. So while you were busy trying to keep the law, Paul says, I was the one who taught you how to do it. I was a teacher of the law, so you better believe I kept every law. I was a Pharisee. I was a leader when it came to teaching God's law. Verse six, as for zeal or passion or purpose, he says, here's my purpose. Here's what I did. I persecuted the church. I stopped it. In, I, was, I was out to stop the church in its track. As for righteousness based on the law, that means as to sort of that sense of feeling that he was at, uh, in accordance with God, that he was in right standing with God. When it came to God's law, he says, yeah, I was faultless. You couldn't find a single blemish on my resume. Paul says, I had it all. I nailed it all. But look what he says in verse seven. But Whatever were the gains to me, whatever, all of those credentials, all of those privileges I experienced and I had, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That all of those things pale in comparison to just knowing Jesus Christ. That none of those credentials, those privileges, those places of preference that he stood in the cultural standings of his day, None of those things matter in light of simply knowing Jesus. Verse eight, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake 
I have lost all things. That means he has consciously chosen to lay those things down for others. Now look how he closes out verse eight. I consider them, what's the word? I consider them garbage. It's right up there in the screen. Do you see it? So let's say it again. I consider them garbage. garbage. That's the kind of language you see. It's trash. It's rubbish. It's a waste. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now what a vision Paul lays out for us. He says, look, if you think you've got credentials, I've got more. If you think you had high standing, I was higher. And yet, in light of knowing Jesus, I lay all those things. In fact, those things are a burden to me that I lay down for the sake of others. So I thought what would be fun for us as we're having this look at what it means to be great neighbors, how we neighbor well in the place that God has us, is for us to look at some of those things in our own life. What are the things that we kind of have as our little status symbols, our little privileges, if you will, for lack of a better word, that we may not even be aware of that God has invited us to actually lay down for the sake of others so that they don't keep us at a distance from others, us higher than others, but that because of Christ, we would level the playing field by laying down our privileges. So I thought, how fun for us today to have a conversation on privilege and race and power on Mother's Day. Why not? Let's just go all in and we're gonna have the conversation today. Why not? You're here. You can't help what we're gonna talk about. So that's what we're gonna talk about. In fact, I brought some friends with me to talk about it. Can you welcome some of our guests that are gonna be up here on a panel with us today? Talk about this stuff. I wanna introduce you to them. Thank you, 1230 making them feel so welcome. So let me, oh, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Octavia. So let me introduce you to a couple of these folks. Some you may know, some you may not. Um, but I, I want us to have a conversation on what does it mean to leverage our privilege for the sake of others? Whatever it is we have, whatever it is we've got, however it is we got here, how do we lay that down for the sake of others? So to do that, uh, we have our friends here, Abella. Y'all know Abella. Say, hey, Abella. Good to have you back on stage from thank five you. minutes ago. Good to, it's good back. to see you again. <laughs> Uh, Bella's been on our team for about a year and a half now as our Love Works Director. She leads all of our local and global partnerships. And what uh, Bella has done such an amazing job of doing is not only activating our church to be involved with what God's doing in the city and the world, but she's educating our church to really understand some of the deeper issues. She's a teacher to me, and I'm her student, and I'm so privileged to have her on our team and on this panel. Next to Abella is Alyssa Ray Yakota Lewis. Can we welcome Alyssa? Yeah. Alyssa is a restorative justice specialist. Now, what does that mean? That means that she actually is involved in work to intervene kind of current patterns and practices, um, specifically when it comes to students sixth and through ninth grade in the Roseland community, um, how to intervene uh, when it comes to moments of conflict, tension, or violence. And what she's doing and the work that she's committed herself to is kind of getting in the middle of that and providing a third way, another way than just our kind of the way our system is set up. What she's doing is getting upstream to kind of change the trajectory of a pipeline that we currently have in our city for a lot of students to go straight from school to the streets to prison. And so she's doing work to provide a third way upstream. And so Alyssa, it's an honor to have you with us here today. And then at the end, the white guy in the end is John <laughs> Klein-Peter. And John and I have been friends for 20 years now. And uh, John and I met a long time ago at a church uh, out in the suburbs. I'll tell you about that in a second. John had worked on staff at Willow Creek Community Church 
and, uh, and was most recently the pastor of Willow Creek, Chicago, a dynamic church that we love partnering with here in the city. And then he left that recently to actually uh, be a part of leading the Better Good Group, which is helping uh, nonprofits and for-profits company really uh, integrate what we're talking about, some of the stuff we're talking about today, all the way through their organization, not just kind of in the HR hiring sort of stuff, but to really have this idea of equality as a value and principle amongst many other things. Um, throughout organizations. John and I, as I mentioned, met 20 years ago at uh, this little church out in the suburbs called Willow Creek Community Church, just a little uh, local church out in the suburbs. And we were interns together in the student ministry and uh, I'd barely been there a little bit. I just moved here from California, barely knew anyone other than Jeannie. And John and I were walking to some meeting somewhere and uh, he like, like grabbed my shoulder. Like he was having a moment with me. And he was like, hey, I just wanna let you know, Jared, like I believe that God is gonna have us doing ministry together for the rest of our lives. I thought, wow, that's a powerful vision. And the only thing I could thought, like, think to say back was, what's your name again? Because <laughs> I, I felt like I barely knew him, but he had this word from God. And here we are 20 years later, still doing ministry together. One of us hears God better than the other. Yeah, well, this is true. This is true. I got it. I'm not saying who is who, I'm just saying. So I'm glad, John, that all these years later, we are still friends and still partnering together. It's an honor to have you, and I'm so glad um, that you are on this panel. So Abel, I'd love for you to help us understand, we're gonna talk about privilege for the next couple minutes, and this is a word that can, for some folks, make them feel uncomfortable. For some folks, there's just no understanding or clarity around what that even means. It can get political. It can get people kind of fired up or shut people down, but I think it'd be important for us just to break it down. What does it mean to have privilege? Yeah, sure. Well, just a kind of a textbook definition of privilege would be unearned advantage, any unearned advantage, and and people, I think, feel uncomfortable with that, especially in North America or in, in the States, because we hold so dearly this idea of meritocracy, that if I am successful in any way, it's because I earned it, because I worked hard for it. And that just isn't always the case. Not that you didn't work hard for the things that you have, but that we were all born into certain unearned advantages. Um, and that the world just kind of bends in our favor in certain areas. That could be uh, your gender, your race, your sexual orientation, your Judeo-Christian status. It could be any number of things where you hold privilege. And there's this intersectionality. It's this word that means that you can be wildly privileged in one um, uh, category of your life and in the margins in another. So for example, for me, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color. That would be two areas in which I might not experience privilege. However, uh, I have a graduate degree, so I experience educational privilege. I speak English, which is also a form of privilege. We were, all, we were in El Salvador, like I said, and all the signs were in Spanish and English. Not Spanish and French, not Spanish mm. and Hindi, but Spanish and English. That's a privilege that I get to enjoy as I move about this world. So. Um, there are all types of privileges, and you can be sitting in, in seats of varying levels of privilege um, in one individual. So all of us have some level or some form or expression mm -hmm. of privilege, some of us more so than others, whether we're aware of it or not. Sure, some yeah. of us, I, as a white male, would have a Christian white male educated, like I would have a significant level of privilege, but all of us at some level have some privilege. Is that safe to say? Yeah, it is. It is pretty safe to say. I'm sure there are cases, sure. I, I know there are cases where people would argue that, I, that they are across the board, no privilege, but for the, by and large, and for the sake of this conversation, this room, yes, we yeah. all do. And, um, and one of the advantages of privilege is that you get to set the rules. 
And I think one thing we'll talk about today is that not in the individual, you can just get the rules, but you, in the aggregate, right? So if I am, um, I experience, I'm very aware of male privilege when I'm thinking about salary. Mm. Because men get to set the rules, right? And so they get to decide that they, have a, they get an, a dollar and, and they get to decide that I get 75 cents. Mm. That is a structure created by men that is an expression of male privilege. And we can talk about all the justifications for why people think that women don't make the same as men, but that is a system of privilege um, that, it, we, that it's exercised you know, wildly. So it's often, if we're unaware of our privilege, usually we can become very aware of someone else's when we bump up against it or mm -hmm. aren't allowed in or to experience what they have because of who they are, where they're at, or Correct. that sort of thing. So why is it, okay, so here we are on Mother's Day talking about privilege. <laughs> As one does. As one does at Soul City. So Alyssa and John, like, why is that important? Why, why would we spend time? Why is it important for us to have this conversation? So I approach the conversation from my own perspective as a white male. Been one since birth. Like, I've grown up a white male. <laughs> so that's my perspective on the world that we live in. And... Uh, an example would be, I can walk into any store in Chicago, and every employee of that store assumes that in my wallet are the means, the resources to be in that store. That is not the case for people of color in our city. Mm -hmm. There is a different assumption when someone walks in, depending on their skin color, of whether they have the resources to be there or not. Mm -hmm. And the reason I, I think, to your second part, why it's so important, if, uh, so my wife came home from work, and she had a giant piece of spinach on one of her teeth. So big it covered the whole tooth. Oh. Yeah. This was 5 p.m. She quickly backtracked and thought, I ate that salad at lunch. For five hours today, I had an entire tooth <laughs> covered in spinach and no one said anything in the office, right? Like, that's immoral. That's wrong. Yeah, that's right, that's wrong. that's wrong. On every level. Yeah, so I, I think some of why I participate in conversations like this and why I spend my career on it as well, it's because I feel like there's, uh, there's a kindness to telling the majority community, you have some spinach on your tooth. Mm. Like, you may not even know it, but it's not mean to say, yes, I, to Jared's point from a moment ago, I have more privilege. I was born into it. I didn't design the system, but I benefit from it. And that's not like, oh, you're horrible. It's, but you got something on your teeth. Mm. And the kind thing is to talk about it and to mm. get it off and to start to live with mm. the awareness. Alyssa, mm. anything there? Yeah, you know, you, uh, the question was, uh, why is it important for us to talk about privilege? Uh, and I'll add today, because mm. You, mm. you said, here we are talking about privilege on Mother's Day. Uh, and, and there's two things that come to mind. One is there are a lot of mothers who don't get to be celebrated with their children today because they don't have the privilege of crossing this invisible, well, physical border that we've created. And that's very real. And, and while that doesn't mean your celebration is any less important, it just is important for us to remember that it's not true for everybody. Mm. And that, that it is a privilege, that we don't have to be concerned that next year we might just Separated. be whisked away. Mm. Um, and then on the other side of that, you may also have come here thinking it's a Mother's Day, you know, service and we're going to just say really nice things. And we're also now sitting here saying uncomfortable things and the inclination might be to exit out of the conversation. There's privilege in having the choice to mm. exit out of the conversation mm. and that's not true of everybody. So 
those things are all things that we might not have been aware of before. So in that sense, privilege is, is a lot of, it, it has a lot of assumptions under it that we aren't examining. Mm. John, if I may. Please. Um, told our joke, but, well, I guess I don't know if it was a joke, but we all laughed. Uh, been a white male his whole life, right? Um, fun, light, no harm, no foul. And yet, we might look at somebody who presents as a white male and hasn't actually been male their whole life, and we don't get to make that assumption for people. Now, you were stating your truth, so that's what it is, but it was stated in a sense of, ha ha, we all know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we didn't actually have any reason to all know that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so just calling to question our assumptions is why it's important to talk to about it today and every day, mm -hmm. all that. Yeah, it's interesting as you say that, I have a transgender sister who she experiences uh, privilege very different than I do, mm -hmm. even though we were born identifying the same gender. Mm -hmm. So I have seen firsthand that that is a different world she experiences than I yeah. experience yeah. Uh, in my life. So, so it's important to have these conversations, one, because it begins to unearth some things. It begins to raise awareness to things in us. And also, I mean, we can look out and see the system, but really we start by saying, okay, wow, are there assumptions? Are there privileges that I have that I never even thought twice about before? And gosh, what does it mean to actually hold these things? So I, I know that as I've had conversations with this in my own journey and my own trying to understand um, what privilege I hold and how it manifests itself, it's really easy kind of in the midst of that to feel like back, you know, like, oh gosh, I'm a bad for having these things. And then we can lash out and say something extreme like, well, I'm not, a, I mean, I'm not a racist. I mean, these are, I'm not like a racist. This is, this is the system. This is kind of a structure created by them against them. I'm not that. I'm not a racist. And so what would you say to that, John, for that kind of like how you can kind of quickly opt out of the conversation and say, well, yeah, yeah, but that's not for me. Sure, those things may be true, but I'm not, I don't have bad intent. I'm not a racist. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so part of the advantage of privilege is being able to identify for yourself as an individual, but other people as a group. Mm. So as an individual, I can see racist white people like we've seen this, uh, there's more reported acts of anti-Semitism in the last six months in our country than in years before. I can see that, and you know what? No one blames me for that. And I can say, well, that's not me. They don't represent me. The power of majority culture allows me to say that. However, when a person claiming to be a Muslim does something terrorizing in our world, the response for most of us in the majority is to say, why, why are all Muslims this way? Mm -hmm. Or to say, why aren't all Muslims speaking out against this? There is a different expectation of responsibility. I'm allowed to be an individual who is not a racist, even though there are white racists. Mm -hmm. However, a Muslim is not allowed to be an individual devout Muslim who is also a peacemaking anti-violence person. Mm. As the majority, we get to be individuals but hold a group accountable and I think it's really damaging. Yeah, it's really interesting. Alyssa? I would just add, if you if, uh, are familiar with Broadway, Avenue Q, it's a wonderful song, and it goes, everyone's a little bit racist today. <laughs> and it's great, and you should listen to it. But it's also true. And uh, there's a book by uh, Michelle Alexander called The New Jim Crow. In that, she stated something that has resonated in me through so many conversations, which is that we assume that racial animus, which is hate towards another person, 
uh, is required to be racist rather than the fact that we just hold race-based assumptions. Mm -hmm. And so when we're asking why, uh, you know, why would we, why do I need to do it? Because it's not me. I don't hate these people. Right. That's not the issue. The issue is that your assumptions fuel the systems that create that inequity of privilege. Mm -hmm. Okay, so th that opens up kind of a big thing of that there are, you know, sort of systemic, uh, there's systemic inequity or inequality. There are whole systems built on and based on privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can say, okay, well, I guess I'm a part of that, but what do I do about that? How do I engage in a, you can just look at our city. You don't have to look at our country. You can just look at our city and have enough examples. Where does someone start in naming, facing, challenging, and changing some of the systems that we have that are rooted in privilege? Yeah, I think you need to get curious. Um, and it's, the question is then, how do I get curious about something I don't know that I don't, I don't know? And, um, but we all have little, uh, like, aha moments. Um, one for you might have been, a few months ago, there was a video that went viral. This BBC reporter in his home office was being interviewed live on air, and his two kids come busting through the door, yeah, right? And then this woman comes in, like, ninja-style grabs these kids <laughs> and gets them out as quickly as possible, and it made, you know, all the, it made the rounds. And I think a lot of people saw that woman come in, and they're like, oh my goodness, thank goodness that nanny, like, has ninja skills and got those kids out of the room. And then we all come to find out that that was not the nanny, in fact, it was his wife. Um, the man is a, is a white reporter. And um, this woman was Asian, and that was his wife. And I think that people felt some type of way about that, like, oh, shoot. I thought that was the nanny. Like, what does that say about me? And then you can, you can go a, a few different ways. You can say, well, you know, that was just kind of like a one-off thing. I don't really think that all the time. Or you could say, huh, where else do I do that in my life? Where else do I make assumptions about a person based on what they look like? And, and you do that because there is a person on the other end of that, of your assumption. So if this woman walks through uh, the world with her children and people are looking at her like that's a nanny, that does harm. That is problematic. And so it's not just that you get to assume things, it's someone's on the other, on the other end of your assumption and that is causing harm. And that's why it's important to get curious about the spaces in your life in which you make assumptions. Um, first, it's important to note that everybody in this room is probably at a different place from one another on this conversation. And wherever you are right now, is exactly where you need to be to get started, mm. and that's great. Um, any question can be asked at any time. The point is that we have to start looking at things now. Mm -hmm. um, and so, maybe a little church homework. I don't know if that's allowed. We're in a school, so you can yeah, go we're in school. Pick one day. We want you to do this more than one day, but really just pick one day and say, today I'm going to think more about the things that I'm not aware of. I'm gonna, when I walk into a restaurant, I'm gonna say, okay, what am I seeing? And what are things that I just assume, but, oh wait, should I be assuming that? Is that a weird thing to assume that it's natural for all, you made the statement earlier, for all the busing staff here to be uh, Latina, right? Uh, or is it natural for the host staff to be mostly white? 
those are questions that we want to be asking and you want to just kind of challenge yourself even if it's is this chair something that everybody can sit in mm. what are the assumptions that we're carrying with us one day ask yourself those questions it's so, a really good so yeah that's a great to sort of challenge or become aware of the systems is just to do an internal inventory all day one day and you'd be amazed at what you find that again that's not going to tell you what to do with it all or how to change it all but to at least you have to start with that personal awareness what would you what would you say john you, know, you mentioned the book earlier uh there are so many resources available to us now maybe more than ever right on inequality that exists in systems there's a fantastic book called family properties that's specifically about chicago and when you understand the history of how housing worked in the 20s and 30s, you see why things are the way they are now in the South and West Side. You, there's a direct link, a line of government-subsidized uh, racism. Mm. So when you read those stories and they're compelling, it changes perspective. And I think what's been said already, awareness is everything in this. So there are documentaries, there are books, dive into learning. And if I could, just to my white brothers and sisters who are here, it can be the lazy choice to not learn and study, but just go to your black friend that you love to reference in conversations. <laughs> and can I, can I just encourage us to be learners, diving into these topics, and then out of relationship, ask questions that are based on what we've already unpacked and uncovered, based on our growing awareness at our own privilege. And then engage in those relationships and have safe dialogue. Uh, it's a beautiful thing when you can become the student, the subordinate to, mm. is the fastest way to understand your privilege. Mm. So, I, I would, I th so there's awareness, there's an understanding. Even having this conversation today, my hunch is you did not wake up this morning going, you know what, I want to explore my privilege. <laughs> probably, didn't, probably didn't do that. But on here, Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, but here you are, and we are, and this is awesome. So we're doing that, right? given the example of Jesus, given even the words that we just read from Paul. So as we're doing that, there's more that we can do as we're understanding, educating, having conversation, relationship. I would love for you just to talk for a moment about something that we all can do in little ways and even in big ways, to stand in solidarity with the other or the others or whoever it is that may have less privilege than me. Mm -hmm. How can we actively, actually, stand in solidarity with and for uh, others? What would that look like, what would yeah. you say? Um, solidarity is an action word. It, it implies that you will do some sort of action. And um, I think it's really wonderful when um, something happens to some, a people, someone in my people group. So whether someone that's black or a woman, I'll have friends call and be like, oh man, I heard about this thing, you know, made the news, are you okay? What do you think? Oh, this is tough, this, you know, the world is awful. Um, those types of comments are really comforting and nice and, and they're appreciated, but solidarity is a step beyond. It, yeah. is, it is saying, not only, it's not just saying, okay, we exist in a broken system, I realize that, um, but what if we just slid over and made room for you in this broken system? That's not solidarity. Solidarity is saying, let's change the system. Let's change the thing that, um, that makes it uneven for you and more even for me. So solidarity is 
getting ready to get your hands dirty and relinquish some of your privilege. So for example, you might frequent, Alyssa brought up restaurants, um, you know, examining your language. So you think about neighborhoods and you say, oh, this is an up and coming neighborhood. Well, what does that mean? Who has to be moved out in order for a neighborhood to be up and coming? Who is moving in that signifies that this neighborhood is good, that it is now um, a place, a desirable place to live? What is Who is desirable and who is not desirable, right? So if we question our language and what we mean by the things we say, that's one thing. And then a step further would be you're going now to some restaurant in some up-and-coming neighborhood. It's got murals everywhere. It's very gritty and very cool, Pilsen. And you what? are um, and you are There's eating lots there. Lots of neighborhoods in the city. That's just one of them. <laughs> that's just one of them. Um, you are eating there and. Um, you notice, as Alyssa said, that none of the people that are actually in power, the manager, the hostess, your waitstaff, none of those folks are people that look like maybe they grew up in the neighborhood. You can be an activist, you can stand in solidarity with your dollars. You don't have to frequent establishments like that. But better yet, you could call on the manager and say, hey, what are your hiring practices? Who do you hire? What's your commitment to this neighborhood? How are you contributing to this neighborhood? Are you giving money back? Are you part of the community association? What, get curious about the places you frequent. These things are not inevitable. The way our city looks, the contours of our city, they are not inevitable. And so get curious about the places that you go and know that you can say to a manager, I would love to keep spending $150 here every few weeks. I would love it. I'd also love if you had progressive hiring practices. I'd also love if you gave back to this community. You can be an activist with your dollars. So that's just one example. Mm, yeah, that's good. Anything else from you guys? I think for uh, whatever role of power you play, an important question to ask when you walk into an environment, specifically around leadership and power, is who's not at the table? Mm. If you who's look not around, at the table? Who's not at the table? Okay. The, the table where decisions are made. Got it. The boardroom, the leadership environment, the executive team, if you look in that environment and everyone looks like you, you've got to start to get more curious. Mm. Why, is, why are no people of color around this table? Mm. You know, I work in corporate environments as well, and just so you know, the corporate world has a, a nightmare time with this right now. They do diversity and inclusion mm. separate from their strategy, and in doing so, they're, uh, they're not doing anything to really change. What would be mar far better, far more beneficial is to ask this question, who's missing from the table, and then do something about it. And what that often means, if you're in power, is relinquishing some. Mm. When you, the answer to that question is always going to be hard and sacrificial, but so worthwhile. Mm. So this, this has been a, a challenge for the church since the very beginning of the church. Um, we talk about what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, but just prior to that, the church had a belief, the very first church had a belief um, that the call to follow Jesus was for Jews only. And because each of the disciples, that was their point of privilege and, and, and that was their perspective, was they were Jews who'd converted to the way of Jesus. And so their assumption was that's what he wants, Jews for Jesus, that they're gonna kind of convert from this old way to this new way. And that's even why Paul speaks to some of what he speaks to in Philippians 3, and what happens is God begins to help them see, open their eyes, that this message of the gospel is for all people, right? This has been one the church has continued to wrestle with and has been on the wrong side of many times, at the very least throughout our own country's history and beyond.
So why is it so, why is it so important? And John, I'll just ask you in closing, as a pastor, as someone who's wrestled with this on your own, why is it important for the church to talk about this, to be after this? Yeah, I think it's easy to allow this to be viewed as a social uh, or sociological issue. I think if, you, if you're a person of faith, if you love Jesus, this is a kingdom of God issue. This is not about a sociological experiment. This is not about a social process. This is about the kingdom of God. If you believe Genesis to be true, then every human that has ever been born has been made in the image of the creator. We are image bearers of the Father. If that is true, then we would do everything in our power to equalize opportunity for our fellow image bearers. Mm, That's a theology. And in the same way, if a corporation doesn't tie their belief to their core strategy, if a church doesn't tie the belief of equality to their core theology, it will just be a social conversation Mm. that happens occasionally. Mm. But if you tie it to that, Mm. it can change everything. Mm. And the reason the church needs to do it is because, to Jared's point, the church has been on the wrong side of history so many times Mm. in this. If you start to read and dive into the, uh, the justification for slavery in our own country Mm -hmm. was led by the church. Mm -hmm. We need to confess that. And then as white majority evangelicals, we need to stop making people of color be the voices to declare that their lives matter. We need to take Mm -hmm. that mantle on and say, no, I hear you. You don't need to be the sole voice declaring the worth of your skin color. It is our job because of the kingdom to declare that as loud as anyone. Mm. That's awesome. Well, great. Please, Pastor. Well, I want to thank each of you for coming here today and giving up a good chunk of your Mother's Day and, um, and uh, to help grow and lead our church towards uh, these conversations and towards this awareness and towards this work together. Uh, very, very grateful for each of you, John. Can, just as yeah. an outsider, Again, I'm can I just the, say how okay. proud I am yeah. of you as a church? <laughs> Can I, I mean, I've gotten to know Abella. You, what a gift she is to this yes, community. You're here. To, to speak this into this church. And it is not normal to have lead pastors in Jeannie and Jarrett who facilitate these conversations mm-hmm. because it means they have to give up privilege. That is not normal in the church in America today. And I'm incredibly proud to be a part and be in this setting. And it's an honor. Oh, yeah. Thank you, John. Can we thank these guys for. Thank you. That's perfect. Thank you. So happy Mother's Day. Uh, That's what we wanted to get into today. And as we said, it really is a gospel conversation. This is really a conversation for all of us who take seriously the words of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't assume your neighbor is like you, but you value them the same way that you value yourself. So this is what great neighbors look like. This is how you become the world's greatest neighbor, is you explore and examine, take an inventory of all the stuff in your life, privilege that you may have, opportunities you may have been given for whatever reason, and you look at them as opportunities to be leveraged for others. That's what great neighbors do. Great neighbors leverage their privilege for others, not over others. For others, not over others. See, our world teaches that if you have a little advantage, if you have a little edge, if you have a leg up, 
use it to your advantage to get ahead, to get what you want, to get what you need. But the message of Jesus, and more importantly, the example of Jesus, is that we would leverage our privilege for others because that's what he did for us. No one had greater privilege, no one had greater titles, accolades than Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. And yet his example for us, and the reason we're even here today, is because he laid all of that down. The Bible says that he didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather in humility, he laid down his life for you and for me. He laid it down, he leveraged his life so that we could have real life with him. That's why this thing is so important and so central to who we are and what we do in the world.